Um, hi, Brendan. Welcome to the Bogoslavsky and Co. podcast. It's amazing to have chat to you today. Yeah, thanks um, for having me. Yeah. So before you introduce yourself, I actually just wanted to give our listeners some background on how we know each other. So just quickly, uh, my agency was contracted to compile the social media strategy and its implementation for the film before it disappeared over a four-month period um, in the countdown to the film's theatrical release. And you were one of the producers, I think you were the associate producer and one of the film festival managers for that film, right? Yes. Yes. And uh, my first impression, so obviously we've never met. I was working from Dubai, you were working from the States. Uh, My first impression was I've seen pictures and I was introduced to you. And um, I don't know how to put it, but you're quite tough looking, right? You're not a nerdy looking guy. And um, I think I was the most intimidated by you initially before I got to know you on that project. But I didn't need to be as you turned out to be one of the most chilled and nicest people that's probably ever worked in Hollywood. Um, So I think this is a good place for you to introduce yourself. Uh, Yes, my name is Brennan Hubbard. I'm a producer, director, writer. Uh, As Mariana said, we worked together for Before I Disappear, uh, which was the feature version of a short film called Curfew that we won the Academy Award for. Uh, And now I'm just uh, writing, directing, and doing my own thing. Yeah, okay. So (laughs) that's another thing I want to say. Don't be humble. You do, I mean, you were part of the team that won an Oscar which is huge yeah. and you have been you've you're a filmmaker and you've made you've done a lot I mean I was I knew that beforehand but I mean I was reading up about you again and you've had films that won awards at film festivals that's incredible so what exactly are you doing now uh now I'm doing a little bit <clears throat> excuse me a little bit of everything um I do a lot of consulting and strategizing for uh films going to festivals Uh, So right now I have about 10 films that I'm kind of working at at different points of development. Uh, Some are uh, doing their premieres at festivals. Some are finishing up posts. I'm writing two features right now. And then I have, uh, I just directed my first short film called The Helping Hand that uh, is in its 52nd festival this month. I saw that. I also watched the trailer for Cul-de-sac movie. Um, it was, it's oh. a short film, right? I haven't seen it yet, but the trailer looked terrifying that potentially the child who's the same age as my son dies. So I didn't even want to see the movie. I don't think I can watch that, but the, the trailer looked incredible. Um, first, I want to ask you about your collections of the Before I Disappear project, because that's something we worked on together. And for me, this was one of the highlights of my career, even though it was just a four-month social media marketing project. What do you remember from that project? Uh, I remember it was very hard to shoot because we only had 20 days to shoot, I believe. So that was pretty stressful. We did a lot of um, like 16 to 18 hour days uh, because we only had so much money and so much time. So that was the first part that was very difficult. And then obviously, you know, once you came on, it was it was all gravy because we had IFC pushing the film. We had you pushing the film. And we had just played Venice Film Festival, uh, where I took all the good social media content. And I think you were mad at me about that. 
Yes, um, uh, yes. Uh, let's just tell the listeners. Um, so instead of actually handing over the images that I was supposed to get, you would start posting them from your own profile. I didn't understand what was happening. Funny enough, though, actually, because that was the first month Venice Film Festival was August, and that's when I came on the scene, and you were doing the social media prior to that. So my yeah. feeling, and I was correct, was that you were going to be angry to hand over the social media. Obviously, you couldn't have been happier. Because this was just one less thing on your plate. But the whole time I was like, oh, no, this scary-looking dude is going to be so angry. He has to hand over this incredible thing, the social media for this film project. But, I mean, that wasn't the case, right? Uh, I was happy to pass it over. Yes. <laughs> Very happy to pass it over. Yes. Um so the one thing that amazed me from that project, and if we could just quickly touch upon that, because, you know, I was completely starstruck by everything, is, and I've met so many um, senior people who, in the business, who don't do this. Paul Wesley does all of his own emails and replies almost immediately to emails. Isn't that insane? I found that mind-blowing. I literally, I even thought, like, maybe this is my weird recollection of this. I went to check in my archives today. I would write an email. Seven minutes later, Paul would reply and answer to that email. And, like, he doesn't have his people do that. He does emails himself. I know people in corporates who are not Hollywood celebrities who have assistants doing the emails. Weren't you amazed how down-to-earth and highly professional he was? Yeah, Paul was great. I mean... If you look at him now, I mean, he's directing and producing, so he's he's someone who just has to stay above it, everything, and like, you know, it it all gets. If you have an assistant or something, and you're you're working at such a high level like that, it, things kind of get lost. So it was good to have him on as a producer. He really brought a lot to the table, and then obviously he was great in the film as well. So it was really good to see him like kind of step away from the TV world and come into the indie world. Yeah, I, I loved that film. I just, I, I loved really, it It was, it was so nice to promote something you actually believed in. I, I thought it was, if people haven't seen Before I Disappear, they must go watch because it's absolutely beautiful film. Now, uh, moving on, um, I want to touch upon the topic of psychology of film marketing. What is involved, you've done some marketing, so you will know this. What is involved in marketing in film? What are the challenges? And then what's the best campaign you've ever seen in terms of film marketing? Uh, I think right now the biggest challenge is there's not like it's there's a weird thing in the film festival world. Um, so a lot of festivals are very it's very hard to get into the bigger ones and the smaller ones. There's a big issue with you know is it worth it? Um, I know there's it's 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 tough tough to market especially feature films because you know, a lot of festivals take ten films and then from there. Like you're not going to find distribution right away. So you actually have to go out to these places yourself and kind of push your own film because no one's really getting sales agents are tough because you don't get the big sales anymore. So a sales agent doesn't want to put in six months of time to maybe get a 50, 50 distribution deal. Um, so going into festivals, the marketing is very, it's, it's key to kind of do your own push. And obviously like having someone like you, would be a huge marketing thing, especially going into distribution. Because um, making money is very hard for anything that... It's a big thing in indie film marketing. From what I, I, I obviously don't know this. When I heard Hollywood, I thought, wow, everyone has deep pockets. This is so not the case. <laughs> 
I remember being on such a high during this whole marketing of BID and yet everyone involved, you, everyone just kept apologizing to me for not having any money <laughs> for marketing purposes. Everyone kept apologizing. Is this still the case? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, most films I shoot, it's like you, you find the money to get it done and then you hope that someone comes on in post-production to help you, you know, do sound design and color. And by the time you actually get the film you know, polished up and into a festival, you, you don't have any money. You're, you're paying for yourself to go to the festivals. You're paying for, you know, any little last minute things. If you have an actor, you need to get there. Like you're usually covering out of your own personal money. There's just, you know, once the budget's done, obviously you want to use it the best you can to make the most creative project. So when it's all said and done, you're like, Oh yeah, I didn't think about actually getting it out there. And most indie filmmakers are kind of, like scared to promote themselves. So that's another reason. Like, I've noticed that I have since doing the project, I've pitched myself to some filmmakers, but well, aside from the fact that they want to pay $500, which is not an option. Um, uh, they, they also don't seem to be doing anything themselves for the film online. And it's a low barrier to entry. Although you do need to know what you're doing when it comes to marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like I said, I, I do a lot of, film festival like strategizing with people and like a lot of times they might just hand the film over and like you know they hear from me once a month when I kind of tell them where we should aim and they don't really they don't post that they're in a festival they don't like do anything other than the materials I request and then it's kind of like almost on me to make sure their project kind of grows so I mean it's different some people are really proud of their films and they they kind of take it over and it's it's great but there are other people that like they almost feel a little shameful that like you know the film's not in Sundance but like you know you got to be proud if you play 15 smaller festivals like I, I would like you got to be proud of that you got to own up to it and like it's a growing thing and if you meet new filmmakers and you make better projects like it all it all adds up in the end and you never know like you know, when the programmer from Hill Country Film Festival is going to be a programmer at Sundance in 10 years. Like, you never know what those things. So, like, I feel like the smaller ones will grow into larger ones <clears throat> the, the more I you – But I think something also people don't realize is that when you work on marketing a film, especially as a marketing agency, the number of different parties you're dealing with. I was thinking for us – I mean, it, I dealt, it was a four-month project. I dealt with you. I dealt with Sean. I dealt with Lucan's company, Electric, IFC, the PR agency, mm -hmm. Paul's people, I think Fatima's dad. Um, the list, and this is just the beginning of the list. It's, you wouldn't think that. You would think like, oh, you've seen the movie and now you can start marketing. But there's a lot of parties involved. Do you also find that? Uh, I think uh, lately it's been less and less, but <clears throat> a lot of our projects haven't had um, not as many stars as that. Like that film was pretty, you know, that was coming huge. out of the Academy we had everyone. Yeah, like we had a really good cast. <laughs> yeah. Emmy Rossum. So I think because of that, like because Sean secured such a great cast, um, because we did the short film and won Academy Award and everyone was like hot on the on the topic. So I think because of that, like, that's why you had more of an issue because like, you have to go to all these PR agents. You have to, like, clear everything. Like, I think we had to clear every single still we used from the movie with everyone's people. Oh, yeah. I remember the one drama around one. But, yes, we did have to clear literally everything 
Oh gosh, yes, that was quite intense, yeah. but also lots of fun. Um, so I read a quote recently. If I don't know who wrote, said this, but this is quite good. If they put as much attention to detail into making a movie as they do into marketing a movie, we wouldn't see so much crap coming out of Hollywood. What are your thoughts on this? I assume this has to do with the big studios and the big budgets. Because I actually thought the trailer for BID was perfect. It was one of the most perfect trailers I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, that, that trailer was really, it was great. Uh, he actually, the guy that cut that trailer uh, did cul-de-sac for us alongside Damon Russell, who's the other producer before I disappear. Because we were like, oh, that trailer's so good. We want him to edit our next movie. Um, but to go back to the marketing, like I think, I think it's tough because if you are making an indie movie, you put your heart and soul into it. You're, you don't have any money. You kind of just do what you can to get it done. And then, you know, someone like an A24 comes along and they're like, Oh, you already did all the hard work. Uh, here's a deal and we'll push it. And a lot of times, like if you don't hit right away, they'll kind of get lost in the fold. Or they might just put like, you know, here's ten thousand dollars. We'll do some ads that you will never really see, but we'll, you know, we said we did it. So there's weird things like that where like, are they pushing the movie, or are they just adding something onto their slate in case one day it gets big and they make money off of it? Because uh, that's another issue now. Like, there's so many films being made, and there's only so many distributors, so they're just kind of grabbing whatever they can because you never know when, you know. Sean Christian could sell a script and all of a sudden his old catalog is worth money. And it's like, there's, there's all kinds of things like that. Like you don't know who's going to go viral. You don't know what's going to happen with their next film. So distributors are just grabbing things and just, you know, kind of just keeping them to see what happens. How has Netflix changed the distribution model? Uh, I think it's like a blessing and a curse. Like, obviously, when they came onto the scene, it was great. Like, they were buying things. They're spending money. But I think now their outreach has kind of grown too much, and they're kind of pulling back a little, which is hurting some of the smaller guys. Because I know I've talked to some sales agents recently, and they're all like, yeah, I'll send your film to Netflix and Amazon and all that stuff, but they're really not buying anymore because uh, they're just creating their own content and like keeping their money in that area. Or they're just breaking deals with like Duplass Brothers and like they're just making 25 movies a year sort of thing, which is great if you get in, but it's very hard for someone like me. It's like, well, how do I get into that meeting? Like, how do I, like, how many films do I have to do before I can find the notice? Okay. So, but I feel like you've already done some really great stuff though. Um but for those that are just starting out, so let's say someone's listening to this, they want to get into indie filmmaking. Aside from saying don't do it, what would be your first, a couple of first stepping points? Uh, I think the most important thing is make something that's interesting. Don't remake something that we've seen a hundred times. Like, you know, don't make a love story where, you know, the couple falls apart falls out of love and then falls back in love, like do something weird and interesting. And like, you know, it's, it's, I don't know. It's very tough in indie world right now. Um, it but just, sounds like it. Jeez. yeah, just, you gotta like, especially going into your first film, you just find people that you trust in the moment and that you think are going to do the best for you. 
And like, you're going to make mistakes. You're not going to make any money. So if you get a distribution deal in your first movie, just, you know, kind of go with the person that seemed the best in conversation and you trusted the most. And like, maybe at the end of the day, your film will get out there, but you're not going to like, uh, you're not going to retire after making one indie film that plays it, you know, slam dance or and, something. Yeah, I don't think people realize, or people outside the industry realize this. I remember when I told people, oh, I had a four-month Hollywood project. You could see their eyes light up. They think I hit jackpot. <laughs> this very much wasn't the case. Um, but it, And this is even different. This is a marketing agency. Um, but, yeah, if it's indie film market, yeah, indie filmmaking, well, yeah, there's very little money. Yeah, it's which is sad because th- those are my favorite films to watch. They are, and there's you know a lot of great things have come from that, and a lot of great directors and writers and actors. Um, but I think right now, just it's very saturated because you can literally shoot a feature on your iPhone right now, and it's not going to look that bad. So I think it's the guy who the guy who did Tangerine. What was that? Yeah. Yes, that was yeah. shot on iPhone. And then he went on and did uh, Florida Project, I believe, which was yeah. another. Wait, what was his name? Sure. What was his name? Uh, I forget his name right God. off the top of my head. Sean something, I'm sure. No, because I had literally, when I was pitching myself, uh, the agency for film things, before he had Florida Project, I had emails with him. And he's like, I don't have money. I'm still in debt. And I was like, this guy has done so many movies. But it touches back upon your point of there is not that much money in indie filmmaking, which is really sad. Yeah. Sean Baker, by the way. Yes, Sean Baker. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, yes. So, but okay, to go back to the first point of, so if someone is starting out and let's say is film festival, you have a script, you've made something, it looks pretty decent. Are you the guy then to get in touch with? Oh, absolutely. I I have, you know, five calls a week with filmmakers who are like, you know, I'm trying to finish up this project. Don't really know anything about the film festival world. And then I'll kind of, you know, if, if I like what they're doing, I'll jump on and I'll, I'll give them notes on how to kind of polish it up. Because a lot of people, you know, if you send me a 30-minute short film or something, like I'm going to tell you, you're not going to play many festivals if it's 30 minutes. Like there's there's a lot of things you got you to gotta trim the fat. And a lot of people get hung up on like, well, I wrote it this way and this is how it should be. And it's like, well, there's the movie you write, there's the movie you shoot, and there's the movie that eventually gets, you know, made. So like... I, like I said, I have like five, 10 calls a week with filmmakers who are just trying to figure out what to do with their project or how to get it off the ground. Um, you know, what to do maybe they're mid shoot and they're just like, you know, things are falling apart. So I guess in a weird way, I'm like a fixer. Um, but with festivals at this point, I'm an alumni at over 300, I believe. So I can, if you show me your film, you can I can cure it for you. Wow. What was that? So you can basically get anyone in. Well, not in, but get their movie potentially seen at any festival, right? Yes. I mean, uh, there's no guarantee. Like, I I have the contacts and I have the alumni status and the outreach and I've won awards at a bunch of festivals. But there's no guarantee. Like, every year programmers do different things. So if your film just doesn't fit 
that year, then it doesn't fit. And then, you know, there's other festivals out there. Um, like South by, for instance, like everyone always sends me a, a music film. They're like South by, I'll play it. It's like, that's not the case. Like they don't just play music because they're also a music festival. Okay. Okay. Um, and finally, who is the most famous actor you've or actress you've ever met and worked with? <sighs> most famous. Uh, well, that's debatable because everyone has their own and different kinds of films. To you, when you were like, oh, wow, I can't believe I'm working with this. I can't believe I'm talking to this person. That would probably be Ron Perlman in that case. Ah, okay. So our movie. Okay, that's great. Yeah, I mean, when Sean did his film, I was like, basically, Sean didn't tell me he was going to put me in a scene with Ron Perlman. And he I just, remember that. Ah, oh, I used that of, image. Yeah. Yes. He like pulled me aside and he's like, you know, they call me Bear. He's like, Bear, this is Ron Perlman. You guys are going to be on a scene. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, it was, it was a little nerve wracking because the first scene was him slamming uh, our friend Joe DeVito against the wall. And I legit thought it was real. I was like, oh, he's going to kill this guy. And I ran out of the room. But then, you know, that's did cool. a few more takes and it was great. And now I'm in a movie. Well, Ron Perlman, that's incredible. That's amazing. Brendan, if people want to reach you, because I'm sure um, some indie filmmakers would like to get in touch, uh, where can they reach you? Uh, there's an email on my IMDb. Uh, I run a company called Barely There Media, B-E-A-R-L-Y. So uh, you yeah, can reach I'll, me by email there. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram uh, at Barely There Media. Uh, there's probably some Facebooks in there. I don't know if anyone uses that anymore. Uh, it's it's not hard to find me. Okay, brilliant. Thank you for so much for taking up your time and chatting. This has been really great to catch up. Thank you, Brendan. Yeah, thanks for uh, having me on. <laughs>